Now we have spent uh, an hour in meditation mode in the sitting and walking and standing postures, giving this mind a rest from thinking, not giving up thinking altogether, which would be uh, more of a a jhana practice, Uh, but instead letting the thinking process slow down by directing our thoughts to focus within the narrow confine that I suggested for you of being aware of the physical body. The Blessed One has given many different subjects for meditation, uh, such as awareness of um, uh, uh, body, awareness of Vedana, feeling, awareness of states of mind, awareness of uh, the various uh, dhammas, uh, doing a contemplation on uh, the uh, decomposing corpse, <coughs> Uh, doing a uh, contemplation of the uh, internal <coughs> organs of the body, and so on like that. Uh, and then also uh, contemplation to develop the Brahma-viharas, the uh, uh, divine abidings of loving-kindness, uh, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity for all beings in the world. Uh, contemplation which is aware of the existence or non-existence of the hindrances, the factors that uh, block our meditation and uh, uh, prevent uh, wisdom from arising. Uh, contemplation or awareness of the uh, bodhjangas are the mental factors that support meditation uh, with the inclination in the case of hindrances to prevent and drop the hindrances and the inclination to um, recognize, value, and sustain the um, uh, factors of enlightenment which are supporting our practice. Uh, Many different objects of meditation. And I would um, encourage you to stay with root practice, whatever is a strong easy and stable practice for you that you have learned in meditation and also in a methodical way to uh, study, learn, and try out uh, some of the different kinds of contemplations that are offered for you in the Theravada. Uh, When you develop all these various forms of meditation, you can be uh, like a skilled um, cook who has uh, many different kinds of pots and pans and different types of knives and spatulas and spoons and a wok and a fry pan and a steamer and all these different tools. And then according to what is needed at the moment, uh, the skilled uh, cook can use the right tools at the right time to get the job done. So then if you are in a uh, a state uh, which is very uh, sleepy, for example, you uh, might be inclined 
uh, to do some type of meditation that's more active uh, to overcome drowsiness. Or if you're in a uh, state of mind which is uh, quite uh, agitated, uh, you might uh, try to use a more forceful type of uh, concentration practice to try to uh, lock down your your awareness and overcome the agitation. So, for example, something like uh, counting breath is a a practice to just help you to settle the mind when the mind is very agitated. Uh, if the mind is both um, reasonably energetic and reasonably peaceful, then that's a really uh, nice time to uh, relax and practice some type of uh, open open field of awareness, uh, simply being present, keeping the mind centered and balanced in the middle, and being aware to just see whatever comes up, whatever arises to our attention, uh, without even uh, without needing to have a fixed anchor of the attention. One is able to just have open, floating awareness, simply staying within the present moment and uh, being there to see the arising existence and passing away of the various um, uh, phenomena that uh, might uh, uh, come into the mind. All of these are, are good practices for the cushion practice. And you might then ask a question. Uh, the topics that I began speaking about this morning and that I'll speak about uh, just now and this afternoon are so theoretical and conceptual. What's the linkage between these two uh, uh, kinds of practice? Wouldn't it just be enough not to have to uh, learn all these lists uh, that the Buddha gave, but just to simply sit and have a, a simple mind and watch the breath. Uh, if anybody here is uh, got the uh, uh, luck to be a, a Buddha, uh, like a you could be what's called a Pacheka Buddha, which somebody you can become enlightened by yourself. You don't need any advice from anybody. You can work it out. Uh, but you don't necessarily need to be able to be a Sama Sambuddha and be able to, uh, again, turn the wheel of Dhamma and convince the whole world about it. You're just able to practice within yourself. And uh, you have that, that talent, to the gift, uh, to be able to sit and realize. Uh, 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 many of us, uh, most of us in this uh, era uh, are what they might call um, savakas. We listen. And we are uh, lucky that we can still be in contact with the teachings that were passed down by a Sama Sambuddha, a perfectly enlightened uh, Buddha who was able to uh, realize um, uh, for himself the way out of this um, nest of suffering that we're in and to convey a certain 
set of uh, principles or uh, concepts that we can then uh, uh, take as our, our toolkit and uh, use them to um, point our mind in the direction to realize that might be beyond what we could have figured out all by ourselves. Um, the end goal in both cases, whether we are uh, reflecting about a teaching that has been handed down or whether we are reflecting and experiencing what is just arising directly to our own natural experience. Uh, the goal is to break through from being locked into this grasping mind. Uh, the mind which is perpetually dissatisfied with the present moment, trying to get something better, um, uh, trying to hold on to uh, what we seem to have, uh, trying to stop the tides of change and to uh, uh, be in, in a, um, a simple uh, state of uh, what is uh, for our welfare and for the uh, continuation of our process of life. It's not that we're trying to become zombies that are disconnected from this actual world of the human life process, but instead that we're striving to be within this human life process, but we've activated a kind of a wisdom factor that then becomes an important part of the committee in our head so that even while we're doing the things that are necessary to do in order to live, in order to do our work, in order to keep our promises, in order to uh, uh, overcome our problems, even while we're going through all of that, while we have our emotional reactivity and our whole psychology, everything that we inherited when we took a human birth and we got the typical set of uh, faculties that a human being has, there's uh, a part of the mind that is able to stand apart uh, from all that and to observe it and to see it's just a process of life. and can stand back at a level of uh, tranquility, ease, uh, stability, peace, and freedom, even while we have to go to our board of directors meetings, and even while we have to um, take care of uh, fixing things and solving our problems. So the uh, uh, lakana, the three marks of existence, are a set of concepts that the Buddha suggested to us uh, that we could um, develop in our mind in order to give us a different way of looking at the things that we naturally experience. In the, uh, there's a sutta called 
Girimananda Sutta, uh, which is uh, a very famous uh, sutta in the uh, Anguttara Nikaya. It gives uh, a set of ten different uh, contemplations, or I should say uh, perceptions. Uh, Girimananda was uh, very ill, and uh, the Buddha um, invited him to uh, develop these ten perceptions in order to overcome his illness. And he did uh, develop these uh, ten perceptions, and he was cured of his illness and, and um, was able to uh, continue his life. And it's because of that that in some of the traditional Buddhist communities, the Girimananda Sutta is used for people who are sick. They, they chant it as a, a way of like encouraging people who are facing illness. So, uh, among the ten perceptions, he encourages uh, to develop the perception of impermanence, uh, dukkha, or uh, stress, and um, anatta, or non-self. I want to now talk to you about what I think would be a practical approach to what they mean by developing a perception. So, we might uh, think at the beginning of simply studying and uh, listening to Dhamma explanations, Dhamma teachings by teachers, and studying what's given in the suttas or in the old texts about a particular theme. So we could say, uh, here is impermanence, anicca. Um, uh, the Buddha said, all conditioned things are subject to anicca. Everything is changing. Uh, the Buddha said, even at the uh, kind of a cosmic level, if you imagine uh, Mount Meru, which is the sacred mountain, so that would be the tallest mountain in the world. Uh, if uh, uh, somebody uh, uh, rubbed the uh, top of the mountain with a feather, and then eventually the mountain would be worn down and um, be worn away into nothing. And so that's a kind of slow, slow, slow process of change, uh, which is still impermanent. So even... Uh, this world, uh, as we have seen to our uh, distress and our regret, even our uh, physical ecosystem is subject to change. And uh, under the uh, burden of uh, human activities, this uh, change of our physical world is accelerating in a, in a, f- a frightful way. Um, and uh, we can see that nature itself is constantly changing. In the ancient times, uh, human, human life was much more on the edge of survival than it was in our more recent historical times. Uh, there could be uh, uh, forest fires, uh, floods, uh, droughts, uh, heavy uh, uh, 
heavy uh, raining seasons with uh, torrential monsoons and so forth. And so the changes of the natural world were perceived as being a danger. Now, in a, another kind of a way, when we see the um, impermanence in nature, some people may think that it's uh, sort of lovely, beautiful, pleasant, and nice, like if you were to uh, go to the beach and uh, look at the uh, sunset on a clear uh, night, and there's something like a, a magical moment that this particular sunset is only going to happen one time, and here you are just in this moment, just experiencing the particular combination of everything right there, and it's so beautiful, and it seems to be even more precious, more poignant, and more lovely, exactly because it is impermanent, right? Um, uh, the reason why impermanence sometimes seems uh, painful, uh, depressing, uh, difficult, and stressful, and sometimes uh, seems to be poignant and lovely, I think has to do with whether we're getting involved in um, uh, something being a threat to our existence. So whether there's some identification that relates to our own personal survival. Uh, being in nature can be uh, quite uh, healing and relaxing in the sense that most people uh, will think that the sunset is not their personal property. They don't have that identification with the stars. Uh, those things are something larger than our individuality. And we're able to, in a certain way, when we're uh, communing with nature, we can let go of our uh, clinging to our individuality and be uh, relaxing as just being sort of like part of nature without, without that, that, um, that grasping or that identification. But as soon as the change then is something that is um, an existential threat, something that is relating to our survival, our existence, our, our identity, then it uh, uh, becomes uh, uh, challenging and stressful in a whole different way. I live in a forest up uh, in Sonoma County near uh, Jenner, where uh, we were given just a, a over 100 acres of forest that was empty and started building cabins. Uh, there was a time when uh, our little uh, community, our monastic community, was uh, planning on what to build and where to put things. And I asked one of my colleagues if she would uh, visualize and imagine what our monastery would look like, uh, what would come to mind for her. And she said, well, I would visualize that it's all going to fall apart and go back to dust. <laughs> Uh, so, so that's this is great. You know, if we can hold that point of view, we won't have to be stressed about it. <laughs> but if we hold the point of view that this is like my um, empire, and like you know, I have uh, eight um, kutis or eight cabins, 
and then I have to maintain eight cabins. And just uh, this past weekend, um, I had a guest who's an elderly nun, and her heater didn't work properly, and I had to switch out that heater for that heater to give her a, a functioning heater. And so it's all of this work, 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 work to maintain uh, uh, what we have. And so in that way, uh, impermanence then becomes stressful because uh, nothing that we own can be held in a way that's static. It all has to be dynamic. It's continuously changing. So you have to either be growing or shrinking, or you have to be coming or going. You're not really able to stand still in the uh, samsaric world, the world of this human endeavors. Uh, they say that one reason why there's uh, so much uh, war in the world is because it doesn't really work out for a country that wants to be a military power to just have a big army, which is just sitting there um, marching around or something, that they, they have to use the army. <laughs> Otherwise, they're going to lose their military power if they don't use the army to do something with it. And so a and so, uh, 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 country that wants to be a world power has to like, assert its power, and, or else it's, gonna, it's either going to be getting more powerful or it's going to become less powerful. And becoming more powerful is, is always a lot of work, and becoming less powerful is painful in a different way. Uh, so um, uh, this is the way, some of the ways in which we can, can see that um, impermanence is um, a constant fact of life at a, a, a kind of a global or a big scale or a, a gross level. Um, another a common way that we see impermanence at the gross level is in terms of our own lifespan and the uh, uh, physical state of the, uh, the body. So if uh, we are older, uh, we might have noticed that our uh, physical abilities may uh, start to uh, decline, uh, that we may um, uh, have uh, aches and pains that we didn't have before, uh, whether we're old or young, we might have to uh, face uh, the reality of uh, injuries or illness and uh, uh, know that in the uh, foreseeable uh, future uh, that we're going to become uh, much less uh, capable than even than we are today. Um, eventually the body and the mind possibly uh, uh, deteriorating and losing uh, capacity, uh, finally ending in death. So. This is a huge uh, problem for uh, people who take a, a kind of a, a naive point of view. Even though we know in theory that there's such a thing as death, uh, somebody might not actually realize that it's a real thing that applies to me. Even when I was uh, 40 years old, my uh, younger brother passed away, and you know I had seen my grandparents had died, and I that was seemed kind of uh, normal, but uh, to uh, lose my younger brother was it was a, a really shock, shocking, traumatic thing because at some kind of like a deep like psychological level, my identification of like who I am is I am this 
child has got a position in the family in relationship to my parents and my brothers and sister. And, and so then to have part of my family taken away out of sequence was like having my arm cut off. And it was, it was so just uh, really uh, surprising. And so in just this way, uh, people might be in denial about their uh, impending doom. And so the uh, contemplation of impermanence will include uh, contemplation of the inevitability of death and the inevitability of disease and the um, decay and decomposing of, of our, uh, our physical uh, uh, faculties. So a first level of uh, developing a perception will be this idea of studying and thinking about it. What my teacher Bhante Gunaratana calls thinking meditation. So it would be not completely out of line if, if somebody spent uh, some of their meditation hours actually thinking about a Dhamma topic. Then having gotten an idea established in the mind and the next level, I believe, will be to uh, take this concept and try it on. So having heard something and having learned it and gained a reasonable uh, exception that a uh, concept that okay this might this may be a, a valid theory, then uh, try to then incorporate and imply apply this idea as uh, this is the lens, this is the special pair of glasses that I'm going to use to examine my experience. And so then going through all parts of our life, including our meditation on the cushion time, as well as the rest of the day, and noticing all the different instances that we can see what is this phenomenon of impermanence and look at how we experience it in reality in our life. Then, uh, once we have um, done that for some time, uh, what can happen is that the uh, perception of impermanence can be uh, like a kind of a second nature, that because we have thought about it and because we've applied it in our life, that that will be the, um, the idea that uh, springs to, to mind uh, uh, whenever, you know, whenever something changes in life, instead of seeing, oh no, my car is broken, we would see this is impermanent. So we, the first thing we notice is impermanent. And then the second thing we might notice is all the other consequences like that. You don't have to take the car to the shop. Um, then um, once that uh, uh, perception has become rather habitual, then we have the opportunity of uh, taking it into, like deeper into the subtle aspects of what we're able to experience within meditation. So that, for example, if we're uh, sitting on the meditation cushion and applying um, the mind to our meditation object, uh, we might 
be able to notice that with the uh, faculty of touch and the physical flow of the breath, there arises, uh, and the, the touching consciousness, there arises this uh, contact. And from the contact of the breath with our, our body, in our, in our awareness, there arises a feeling which is um, based on that touch contact. And then if the contact stops, the feeling stops. When the contact starts, the feeling starts. When we uh, feel some pain, when the consciousness is connected with the feeling faculty associated with pain, the feeling of pain is present. If the consciousness shifts and stops attending to the pain and starts thinking about lunch, then the feeling, uh, depending on the pain, stops. So we can see this uh, arising and cessation of a feeling at a very rapid pace based on the uh, 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 touching of our uh, sense faculties and consciousness uh, touching on their relevant objects and the Vedana that arises from that, the feeling that arises from that, and uh, possibly other kinds of uh, mental phenomena, uh, such as uh, perceptions and volitions, can be arising uh, based on that touch. But especially in the realm of feeling, we have this opportunity to observe uh, Vedana and how changeable it is, how the Vedana is always coming and going and coming and going based on the... Uh, impingement of uh, uh, sensory objects on the sense gates. And so then we can experience impermanence at this profound and subtle level. And now we're getting into the realm of uh, uh, being uh, close to liberating wisdom. So again, uh, just to uh, uh, summarize what I'm trying to convey in this little talk, is that for each of the three marks of existence, I'm recommending uh, that you would try uh, beginning by studying and learning and um, uh, thinking in an intellectual way about what the meaning of impermanence, stress, and non-self is. Then having uh, learned it and thought about it, uh, then you would try to carry this awareness around with you and your practice in your daily life to see how that uh, phenomenon is manifested in your daily experience. Having made a particular way of looking at things very habitual, um, very actually strong, you've uh, taken your weapon of um, mindful awareness and looking at things a particular way and you've made it very sharp and accurate. And then you can bring your developed uh, way of perceiving into uh, a good, solid meditation practice and observe the uh, subtle um, uh, processes of this uh, body and mind as they're manifested within meditation. And now I'm going to come to a close of this.
a simple instruction and it will be time for us to uh, take our meal. Uh, lots of sense contact in the meal. Great opportunity to try to be aware of how many changes you can notice in uh, your body-mind, especially in your feelings, associated with uh, uh, anticipating lunch, uh, receiving lunch, and eating lunch. I think we're going to take a one-and-a-half-hour break and be here ready to get back to work at 12.30. If you finish your meal early, please don't waste the time. And I even would suggest um, avoid the bookstore. Or if you want to go in the bookstore, then do it with full awareness and mindfulness and know why is this body and mind not willing to stay in the meditation retreat, but wanting to leave the retreat in order to be entertained by looking at books. Okay, so that's my um, uh, talk for now. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.